Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a three-course meal of Chilean urban legends sure to delight and terrify you. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me, as always, are the amazing Emily and Ashley. Hey. What's up? You hear about Pluto? I did. That's messed up. Right? I'm sorry. I need to take off my pants now. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. (laughs) So before we dive into today's menu, I'd like to give an early blanket apology to the people of Chile and anyone who speaks Spanish in general. I will do my best not to butcher your beautiful language, but I'm sure at points I will. So I'm sorry in advance. That's a big mood. Big yeah. mood. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like dying because this was the one time I was like, I'm probably going to be all right. <laughs> and both of you were like, I'm going to fuck this up. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all right. I'll be back in uh, messed up territory again for the next country. Woo. I think we all will at some point. Yeah. Because I'll probably be right there with you. Trying to speak Gaelic? Yeah, Yeah, no, I'm going to be screwed. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Today's appetizer offers a taste that disappears almost as soon as you take your first bite. That's kind of disappointing if it just up and disappears. (laughs) It almost sounds like it's an amuse-bouche. right i just attempted french and i'm sure someone somewhere (laughs) someone somewhere barfed in their mouth because of how (laughs) bad my accent is but i'm proud of me seth is all like yes yes more french he loves it given that chile is bordered on one side by the pacific ocean it shouldn't be surprising that it's home to stories of ghost ships such as the caleuche the legend of caleuche comes from the chiloe island which is the largest island of Chile and located off the southwest coast in the Los Lagos region. Its name comes from the Mapuandan word Kalutan, meaning shapeshifter. Some legends state that the ship can change into a marine animal, such as a great whale, so it can disguise itself. That's freaking cool. Yeah, this is literally my favorite thing ever right now. (laughs) (laughs) Being an island, it's not surprising that on occasion, Chiloé is engulfed in fog rolling in from the Pacific. Legends state that occasionally during a full moon, and specifically at low tide, you can hear ghostly music and voices hidden amongst the fog. Out of the mist will appear the Caleuche, a beautiful sailing ship all in white with three masts that bear five sails. All the windows are full of bright lights, music, and the sounds of laughter can be heard coming from the vessel. The ship will navigate at full steam, appearing almost to fly above the water, before the lights will quickly snuff out should another ship get too close, leaving behind a skeletal ship that is too difficult to explain. 
Ooh, that's spooky, but also beautiful. Mm-hmm. I got goosebumps. And I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> Many believe that the ship is a living being that uses its ghostly melodies to lure sailors and fishermen to come aboard, thereby enslaving them indefinitely. Others claim that it's manned by lost souls who drowned at sea, somehow brought back to life by water spirits. The spirits are three Chilote mythological creatures, two sisters, Sirena Kilota and Pinkoya, as well as their brother, Pinkoy, which we heard about in the last episode. Oh, this sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar. So again, to reiterate, in case you for some reason missed last episode, which, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean that in the most loving of senses. (laughs) So, Sirena Kilota is described as appearing like a mermaid, half human, half fish. She has blonde hair and golden scales. She assists her siblings in carrying the bodies of drowned sailors towards the Caliuche, so they can be revived and live happily forever aboard the ship. Her tears are said to be extremely delicate and very powerful if used as part of a spell. Pinkoya appears naked and pure, with long blonde hair. She personifies the fertility of aquatic animals and can either provide or deny an abundance of ships or of fish to the Chilote by performing her ritualistic dance. And as Emily said before, if she dances toward the sea, a fruitful harvest of fish will come that year. And if she dances towards the mountains, seafood will be scarce. Pinkoi, as the male of the trio, appears as a merman. Merman! Merman, Dad! Merman! I got the black lung pot! I got the black lung pot! Everyone who hasn't seen Zoolander is like, what is going on? They're like, what? I have no idea what's happening right now. What is wrong with you? That's a serious illness. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you joke about that? So Pien Koi, as the male trio, appears as a merman, but with the body of a large golden sea lion, with long golden hair and a handsome face that is dangerously attractive to women. Whoa. Rut-row. <laughs> in addition to transporting the drowned to the Kaleuche, his song provides the music for his sister Pinkoya to dance to as she decides the fate of the Chilote's fishing efforts. There is also the belief that the Kaleuche is manned by warlocks, or brujos, who made packs with traders who offered them prosperity in exchange for dark, magical favors. The brujos can visit the Caliuche whenever they please, and usually if they are in attendance at these parties, then it is most likely being led by Brujo Chilot, who will attend the gathering by summoning the Caballo Marino Chilot, which is essentially a water horse. And I don't know what it looks like, but water horse. I mean, you can figure it out. When it comes to this legend, if an islander of Chiloé suddenly becomes rich very quickly, it is believed that they cut a deal with the crewmen of the Caliuche. Did I mention that once a person involuntarily becomes a member of the Caliuche's crew, such as those that are lured to the ship like a moth to the flame, they are hideously disfigured? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. This, this, this sounds like it belongs in Pirates of the Caribbean. In addition to being trapped on the vessel for all of eternity, they also are transformed into creatures that eerily resemble the Invunche. The Invunche, which will make a reappearance in our main course, is essentially a deformed human that has its head twisted backwards. No! Ew! No! 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 It also has twisted arms, fingers, ears, and even its nose and mouth are twisted. Kind of like the world's worst and most horrific Mr. Potato Head. That is gross. Yep. Um, I do not want to look like a Picasso painting. Thank you. I don't yes. like it. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's said to walk on one leg and two hands because one of its legs is permanently attached to the back of its neck. 
No. Mm-mm. What? Hates it. Hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Bearing blue skin and razor sharp teeth, this hideous creature cannot speak in any discernible language, only through guttural sounds. And it's said that those who see or hear the ship but are all but are able to resist its lure are unfortunately turned into sea creatures such as sea lions or seals. Um, here's the thing though, being a human is not cool, so maybe I would like to be a sea lion. There you go. Doing silver it. lining. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say sewer lining? I said silver lining. Oh, I so misheard that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sewer lining. It totally I'm very stinks. <laughs> hey, uh, Emily, why don't you get your mind out of the gutter? Uh-huh. <laughs> Nailed it. Crushing Actually, it. so good at these singers, man. <laughs> and as suddenly as it appears, it's said to disappear back into the fog. And it can be weeks or months before it is seen again. The legend surrounding Kalayuche may come from tales told by Dutch pirates surrounding the Flying Dutchman. Yes. Yes. It would make sense given that the spirits associated with this legend are also blonde-haired and blue-eyed, which would be rare in Chile at the time these legends started. It may be tied to the disappearance of the real-life Dutch ship, the Calanche. It has also been tied to the disappearance of Spanish ships that vanished near the Straits of Magellan. In pop culture, the Calayuche doesn't somehow bring death to everyone who sees it. In fact, the natives of Karumapu hold New Year's Eve parties every year to raise the ghost ship with lots of liquor and good cheer. January 1st falls during the summer months in Chile, and the vessel has reportedly been seen shortly after midnight each year. In media, Raul Ruiz Ruiz's French film Three Crowns of the Sailor and the TV series Littoral, as well as Jorge Olgun's Caliuche, The Call of the Sea, are based somewhat loosely on the legend of the ghost ship. And lastly, Alastair Reynolds mentions Caliuche in his 2001 science fiction novel, Chasm City, which is part of his Revelation space series. In it, the Caliuche is a ship that travels behind a flotilla of colonial vessels. It's obviously not supposed to be there, and it doesn't respond to any attempts at communication from the main ships. When the protagonist of the story, Tanner Mirabel, takes a skiff to investigate the ship, he discovers that it's in fact an alien creature from space that assumed the shape of a ship in order to hide amongst them from its enemy. Well, that that flipped in my head really quickly. (laughs) Because at first I'm picturing it like that scene in The Princess Bride where they first kidnap her and they're trying to get away and then they see his ship like following them in the background. The Dread Mm -hmm. Pirate Roberts! The Dread Pirate Roberts. Roberts. But then... Oh, never mind. There's an alien in the Princess Bride. No, nope, <laughs> like, it's just an alien. He was like, "This looks like a good shape to like t- take shape." Take, so the, the yeah, Transformers came down and they were like, "Forget motorized vehicles. I want to be a boat. I'm gonna be a boat. The best boat. <laughs> a ghost <laughs> on a boat. boat. <laughs> I'm on a boat, motherfucker. Don't you ever forget. I'm on a boat. <laughs> I'm on a boat." Look at me, I'm sailing on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) So ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2017 Vaya Adventures blog post by Rachel Harris, a 2015 Folk Realm Studios blog post by Steve T. Evans, a 2013 Esoterics article titled Dead and Loving It, Spectral Seafaring with the Ghost Ship El Caleuche of the Chilean (laughs) Chilotes, an evil wiki entry on Caliuche, Lonely Planet, and a Wikipedia entry on several things that I won't list all of them, <laughs> but a lot. A lot of different Wikipedia entries. Uh, I'm a little curious in evil wiki that, that has my curiosity peaked. I've never heard of that one before. You should check it out. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> the evil wiki. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be back in one moment with your main course. So I hope you'll excuse me as we take a short break. Leave the Lights On is a true crime podcast with a paranormal twist. 
Join creator Eliza and her co-host as they explore terrifying true stories and chilling crimes. Growing up, Eliza had an odd obsession with the darkest desires of humanity and an insatiable curiosity about the afterlife. Now, each week, Eliza brings you tales that will make you want to lock your doors, hide in your room, and of course, leave the lights on. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I'm back. I hope you enjoy your main course, which has a magical quality that may get more than your panties in a twist. Uh-oh. Oh, I don't know if I want my panties in a twist. <laughs> Is it Don Juan? <laughs> For our next dish, we're going to stay on the island of Chiloé, which is the largest in Chile and the second largest in South America. Fun fact. The island itself is fairly secluded, which is why it has such a rich cultural identity influenced by the Spanish colonists. Fewer than 150,000 people inhabit the island, but they all agree on one thing. You do not want to mess with brujos. And we're going to discuss why. Yeah, I don't recommend messing with a brujo or a bruja. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just don't bad. do it. Fun fact, we have a local uh, coffee shop called Brujaha. <laughs> I like it. The residents enjoy their isolation, and it wasn't until recently that they built an airport. Up until that point, it was only accessible by boat. In a blog post written by Rachel Levitt, she gives a first-hand account of a visit to the island. The first thing her guide, a longtime resident named Juan Pablo Mancila Espinosa, tells her is to beware the wizards. At one point, they travel past a cemetery, and he tells her that the families of the deceased must guard the grave for three days after the burial, where wizards will come to dig up the corpse, steal their skin, and craft a coat for flying. Mm-mm. Nope. Oh my god, it's Buffalo Bill again. It is. We can't get away from him. <laughs> Chilotes say that experiencing strange lights, hearing unexplained noises, and feelings of unease indicate that a brujo is near and ready to make trouble. So brujos are said to be able to fly by uttering the word ahrehuhwe. Right? Close enough? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. It's all good. Ahrehuhwe. <laughs> That's closer. As they leap into the air. By wearing a magical waistcoat, or a makun, they are able to defy gravity. All of the best makun were crafted from the skin of the recently deceased. Ew. Nope. Preferably nope. the skin of a virgin girl or a dead brujo. Uh. Once dried and cured, the skin would be sewn into a sort of cape or loose jacket. Loose jacket. I don't like the way that sounds. <laughs> Skin from somebody else. I think we should call it a warlock. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a warlock cloak. It's a warlock. <laughs> Perfect. I like where your head's at. Chatwin notes this lovely detail in his book. Quote, the human grease remaining in the skin gives off a soft phosphorescence, which lights the members' nocturnal expeditions. End quote. Oh you my didn't god! Give us any warning, Lindsay. Oh my god! You just heard about skin. You just heard about human skin. The human grease. They're using us like whale blubber. Oh no! Oh no! So gross. We are the Vaseline. Oh. <laughs> No. Are we how it waterproofs? Ugh. Yeah. With your fat deposits. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of those. I bet they're doing pretty well after COVID. <laughs> so many nice coats. Human fat is so gross. Just it like it is. It's so gross. I'm like gagging. You want more of that root beer? <laughs> <laughs> No. I'm, I'm okay. I just need to think about something else. <laughs> this might make you a little happy. So the main part of this this dish is the fact that we're talking about the Righteous Province, which is this group of brujos. So upon admittance to the Righteous Province, new members were given a small lizard. 
which they would strap to their head with a bandana so that it was flush with their skin. This creature would allow the newbie to gain all sorts of forbidden knowledge, such as how to take on the forms of birds and stray animals. So it's learning by osmosis from this little lizard on its head. I just picture Pascal from Tangled, like, strapped to her head and being like, You gotta say this. You'll be a bird. (laughs) Whispering whispering in her ears. Okay. Now I am really happy because Pascal's adorable and also and also Pedro. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm glad you're happy because we're going to make it real bad again. No! Because no. <laughs> we're going to be discussing wh- how to become a brujo. No, I don't want to do it. It's going to be like skinwalkers. There are quite a number of steps. The first step is you have to spend 15 to 40 days bathing in freezing water, such as the Triugan River, to wash away any signs of a Christian baptism. Half the sources I found said 15, the other said 40, so I'm just giving you the full range. Somewhere in there is, depending on how baptized, I guess, you are, (laughs) that will determine how many days you need to bathe in freezing water. You have clearly been more baptized than he has. You need 40 days. You're good with 15. (laughs) Move along. After a sufficient amount of time has passed and you are officially unholy, the next step is to kill a loved one. But not only kill them, you also need to make a purse out of said loved one's skin so you can hold your book of spells. Good. Good. Yep. Sounds right. After this, you must run three laps around the island buck naked, calling out to Satan. I can do that part. That would just be fun. (laughs) That's like a regular Tuesday night. (laughs) As a member of the Righteous Province, you'll get to enjoy such activities as killing animals. Oh, I can't do that. Causing general mischief, illness, and death, as well as cursing your enemies. Okay, I don't want to kill any animals, though. Unless they're chickens. I'm going to eat those. Are we allowed to eat them? I think if you kill it, you can officially eat it. Okay, then fine. I will kill some chickens. You can claim your kill. She's on board. So now that you've officially become a brujo and a member of the wizard sect, the real fun begins. (laughs) Because it hasn't been fun up until this point. (laughs) (laughs) No, it has not. Oh my gosh. Once admitted, the brujos will receive their instructions on the strict codes that they must now adhere to. Fun fact, once you were a member of the Righteous Province, you were no longer allowed to steal, except for skin, obviously, rape people, or eat salt. Okay, here's the problem with that. I really like pretzels, so So I guess I can't do this. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry guys, I got a skedaddle I didn't know that was part After the initiation ceremony is complete You'll get to enjoy the roasted flesh of human babies Nope <laughs> Nope no. Unsalted Unsalted No No Brujos have been blamed for a variety of disastrous occurrences on the island From the enchantment of men and women alike Mysterious disappearances untimely deaths, unusual property damage, and the slaughter of livestock. Well, yeah. Arguably the most famous story of brujo activity was when a sect of them were publicly tried in 1880. Whoa. This is where it gets interesting. According to Bruce Chatwin, who wrote about the trial in his book In Patagonia, a former wizard named Matteo Quinacar testified his involvement with La Recta Provinci or the Righteous Province. Mateo and other members of the sect testify that they were a group of warlocks that existed for the sole purpose of hurting people. Mateo himself, who was 70 at the time of the trial, admitted to being a member of the Maoria, or majority, for 20 years. He admitted that the Maoria were running protection rackets, as well as disposing of their enemies with either poison or 
sahaduras, which are profound slashes caused by magic. So this is like the mafia meets witchcraft. Yep. On an island off of Chile. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The brujos had been demanding annual tributes from residents to ensure that their crops and livestock wouldn't fall victim to any malicious spells and to ensure that they themselves wouldn't fall victim to sudden accidents during the night. Accidents. Mm-hmm. Air quotes. Members of the Maoria were said to possess magical stones that allowed them to curse their enemies. We know all about magical stones on this podcast. We sure do. At the trial, it was brought up that many members of the court believed these stones to be the cause of a spate of suspicious poisonings that had claimed a number of people over the years prior to 1880. I don't know if they were just like putting stones in the drinks or I don't know. It kind of makes me think of like Nicholas Flamel's, what was the name of that stone? Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone, but gone wrong. Mm -hmm. The Poisoner's Stone. Yeah. Yeah, Like, what do you, what do you do? You just, you can't squeeze blood from a stone, you know. Can you squeeze poison from a stone? I don't know if you just pour hot tea, hot water over it and it just becomes a poison tea. Like a beef tea. I don't know. (laughs) Hot take. It was actually lead. (laughs) It was just mercury. They just (laughs) made him a mercury drink. It's fine. Hot take. The stone has nothing to do with anything and they were just poisoned. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They were just like, look over here. I have a rock. Beware. (laughs) I got my magical stone. (laughs) When the brujo needed to spy on people and were unable to do so themselves, they used their dark magic on teenage girls. No! Teenage girls have enough problems leaving. They do. (laughs) They would strip them naked before forcing them to drink a mix of wolf oil and the juice of the natri, which is a fruit that's native to Chiloé. Why do they need to be naked? Because they're going to be transforming. Oh. The potion is said to be so poisonous that it causes the girls to vomit up their own intestines. (gasps) No! Before transforming them into la voladora, or large, long-legged birds that resemble a rook, which is basically a crow. Lindsay, you just go right into this with no. This is the second time. No warning. <laughs> like, oh Sorry. my god. Sorry. Just dropping it on. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give trigger warnings in the future. Oh my I god. Guess. After they fulfill the conditions of whatever their mission is for the Maoria, the birds are allowed to return to the spot where they ingested the poison at daybreak so they can then eat their entrails and turn back into young women. God, I knew you were going to say that! Son of a bitch! (laughs) Why? I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like this. I don't like the story. No, listen. Here's the thing about this. Hate it. Okay, (laughs) I'll say it's terrifying. So it's it's definitely one of your best in terms of that. But also, ew, this is really gross. Yeah, (laughs) that's fine. I threw up in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, (laughs) it's fine. I hate to break it to you, but this is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, All right, well, I'm going to just take a swig of water. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, give me five minutes. I need to go get a bucket. I need some tequila. Um, Preferably like a cute puppy to sit up here. No offense, River. (laughs) Sick burn. (laughs) She left. I insulted her and she left. She's like, like, whatever. Screw you, mom. Suffer in silence. So... The locals warn that if you go hiking in the forest, you should never go so deep that you can no longer hear the ocean. For that means that brujos are near. So essentially, you want to stay as close to the ocean as possible. And there's a reason for this. Because the group meets in a secret cave hidden in the forest in the side of a ravine. And it's believed to be hidden somewhere outside the tiny coastal village of Kukabi. Mateo went on to explain that the cave was guarded by an Invunche, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. 
What I didn't tell you is how and why an embuche is made. This is your trigger warning. So buckle up. Oh, oh fine. <laughs> <laughs> when a new embuche is needed, the Council of the Cave will order a member to kidnap an infant male, usually between six months to a year old, before taking it to the deformer. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. This wizard, who is a permanent resident of the cave, will separate and rearrange the hand, arm, and leg joints into unnatural positions. Gross. I hate this. I hate it. And it gets worse. The neck will be stretched and manipulated for several hours over the course of several days with a tourniquet until the head can slowly be turned 180 degrees. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Don't do that. I know it's completely unrealistic, but as the mother of two boys, this is like breaking my heart right now, just thinking about it happening. Once the child can look straight down at its own spine, the manipulation of its neck and head will cease. The final and arguably worst part of the transformation takes place on a full moon. Of course it does. Yep. The child will be put on a workbench and bound to the table before a bag will be placed over their head. A deep incision will be made under the right shoulder blade before the right arm is inserted through the hole and sewn into place with thread made from the neck of a ewe, the sheep. The right arm will be positioned in such a way that it looks like a scorpion tail. After this final act, the child is officially in Invunche. Well, that's fucking awful. Mm-hmm. It's fucking awful. I'm so uncomfortable. You guys can't see it, but I'm like wiggling my toes to try and calm myself down underneath the desk right now. If I weren't already translucent, I'd be really pale from how nauseated I am. Yeah. You know, you guys are both true crime podcasters, and I listen to a fair amount of true crime podcasts as part of the podcast community, and I've heard some awful things, but I don't know that anything has ever made me quite so uncomfortable. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and say that things that I chose to omit from the episode about La Colonia Dignidad were worse than this, but not by much, and I'm pretty sure I almost vomited that day, too. Oh, God. That's the worst of the story. Okay, good. So now that I've scarred you for life... Yeah. Nightmares. We're going to go back to the cave. (laughs) Yay! The cave is the headquarters of their operation and is 40 or more yards long. And deep inside are some of their most prized possessions. A bowl that, when filled with water, will allow secrets to be revealed. And an ancient leather book of magic spells. Mateo's testimony at the trial also included a rather colorful recollection of his first visit to the cave, which is as follows. Quote, 20 years ago, when Jose Mariman was king, he was ordered to go to the cave with meat for some animals that lived inside. He complied with the order and took them the meat of a kid he had slaughtered. Mariman went with him, and when they reached the cave, he started dancing about like a sorcerer and quickly opened the entryway. This was covered over with a layer of earth and grass to keep it hidden. And under this, there was a piece of metal, the alchemy key. He used this to open the entryway and was then faced with two completely disfigured beings which burst out of the gloom and rushed towards him. One looked like a goat, for it dragged itself along on four legs, and the other was a naked man with a completely white beard and hair down to his waist, end quote. So the goat man also known as a chivato, is a deformed mute covered in bristles. They, along with the imbunche, are kept naked and live off human flesh. When they aren't guarding the cave, they are hidden underground. Neither are educated beyond learning what the members of the sect need them to know and only speak with harsh and guttural cries. And as we've learned throughout history... It's not the wisest choice to trust whatever confession is made by a supposed witch. After a week-long search in the spring of 1880, no sign of the cave was ever found. But that doesn't mean that people don't believe, because it's still quite obvious that they do. 
But if the existence of these brujos had been common knowledge for so long, why did any sort of trial only take place in 1880 when islanders had been fearing them for 30 years prior to then? The answer has to do with the political climate at the time. The people of Chile were in the midst of a four-year conflict with Peru and Bolivia, known as the War of the Pacific. Since the bulk of Chile's armed forces were fighting in the northern half of the country, Argentina used this to their advantage to try and claim land in Chile along the border between their two countries. So what does this have to do with Brujos? The witch trial was also noted as requesting the roundup of Chilean army deserters, specifically any Mapuche deserters. Mm. It was during this collection of army deserters that evidence of the Mayoria began to come to light, or the existence of Mapuche sorcerers. So over the next month, around 100 members of the Righteous Province were arrested, although at least a third of them were really just harmless native healers, as they tend to be. As a result of the 1880 trial, Chilean authorities sentenced a number of members of the Righteous Province. Two were sentenced to 15-year terms for manslaughter, while 10 more were convicted for racketeering and being members of an, quote, unlawful society. Since they could not charge them for witchcraft, because there was no way to back up any of the charges made against them in regards to their mystical powers, the bulk of the charges were overturned a year later in 1881. Mateo Konakar served three years in prison, while his brother Domingo served one and a half years. There are those that believe that after this point, the righteous province had disbanded and left the island of Chiloé for good. But had they? Thankfully, there are ways to protect yourself from brujo's black magic. You can know if someone is a brujo by throwing wheat chafe, which is the husk that surrounds the seed, into a fire. The smoke from the fire will make them cough. Um, smoke makes people cough. So we're, yeah, I was like, so we're all brujos. Yay. Yay. If you call out a known brujo by name as they fly past you, It will cause them to fall out of the sky. (laughs) (laughs) That would be funny. (laughs) It nullifies their magic cloak. Oh, and if nothing else, you can just throw salt on them. But not uh, where there's original. (laughs) Not where there's original, just salt. In pop culture, the Righteous Province has been mentioned several times, specifically in Chile. There's a cartoon character named El Brujo in the Calayuche comic magazine. This self-centered superhero does use a makun and superpowers that are reminiscent of witchcraft. He is helped by an inbunche, but unlike the legends, apparently it's super smart and created from some sort of Frankenstein-esque failed experiment. El Brujo also has another ally that can fly and is very beautiful. There is a 2014 animated TV show called Magallanes Un Cuento Majito, whose main character is named Don Eloterio, a Chiloé brujo that lived in Punta Arena and told supernatural tales about the Chilean Patagonia. In an episode titled The Bowels of Death, a witch uses a macoon to be able to fly and turn into an animal. In this show, it's shown as a sort of stylized corset constructed of baby skin and horsehair thread. Because... <sighs> You know, making it a baby skin and horsehair thread makes it better, right? And the desecration of graves is also noted in the episode. Finally, John Constantine battles Chilote Brujos in Swamp Thing Volumes 3 and 4 to prevent them from raising a great evil to destroy civilization. And that is the the Righteous Province. So I I thought Skinwalkers were pretty dark and messed up. I would have to say that these definitely went out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is messed. Yep. That was, I don't know. Dark. Yep. Disgusting. Oh, yep. Cool. So ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2017 Fodor's Travel blog post by Rachel Levitt, a 2017 The Culture Trip article by Will Lees, 2013 Smithsonian Magazine article by Mike Dash, a Cascadia Travel blog post by Zoe Allergian, and then a few Wikipedia entries. So sit tight, and I'll be back shortly with the dessert course. 
Thanks for waiting. Don't let tonight's dessert course fool you. Even though it's got cocoa in the name, it's anything but sweet. God damn it. (laughs) As parents, we often tell tales to our children. Santa Claus comes once a year if you're very good. The Tooth Fairy comes to secret away your teeth. The Easter Bunny comes to hide eggs full of goodies, etc. But arguably one of the most terrifying creations and stories that parents tell are that of a monster that preys on its victims after dark. El Coco. Oh. Oh. The word coco comes from the Portuguese coconut, which also loosely translates to head or skull in conversational Spanish. What? Mind blown. I like (laughs) skull milk. (laughs) Gross. That's gross. That's so messed up. If you look at the furry coconut and its three indentations, you can see why it looks like a head. Also referred to as cuco, coca, cuca, or cucuy, its origins come from Portugal and the Spanish Galicia, where it appears as a monster with a pumpkin for a head. So think of like a jack-o'-lantern with two eyes and a mouth. Or the 1980s horror movie's pumpkin head. Mm-hmm. Okay, but is it cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? I sure hope so. (laughs) Who isn't? (laughs) Who isn't, honestly. So the legend of El Coco is most popular in Spanish-speaking Latin American countries, such as Bolivia, Colombia, Guatemala, Peru, Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Chile, Uruguay, and Argentina. In medieval times, El Coco would transform into a beautiful female dragon, and is known as the dragon who did battle with St. George. Hmm. A feast named Corpus Christi, not to be confused with Florida, is celebrated every year on Holy Thursday to commemorate this fight. The fight is recreated at this event and follows a similar mythos to that of Punxsutawney Phil. If Coco is able to scare St. George's horse and beats him in battle, it will be a bad year for crops. If the horse doesn't react and St. George is able to cut off one of Coco's ears and her tongue, it will be a good year for the crops. How many ears and tongues does she have? I would hope only one. The pictures I saw was just like a one-headed dragon. So Doing this year after year. I think it's a new dragon every year. (laughs) Spoiler alert. The legend of Coco spans thousands of years and is believed to have been originally transcribed by... Diodorus Siculus, a Greek historian who was born in 90 BC. He wrote of the Battle of Selinute in 469 BC, where Iberian warriors hung the severed heads of their enemies on the tips of their spears as an offering to the beast, which at that time was still viewed as a dragon. Coco didn't even go by that name until 1274, when it was named Coca in the book Livro Three de Duasonis de D. Afonso III. It was a long-ass named book. <laughs> the motif of the dragon, which would also be known as Cog, was very common during medieval times and during the golden age of pirates, the 16th and 17th centuries. El Coco is compared to such creatures as, I think it's Pugat Mamu, Black Anise, and most famously, the Boogeyman is said to have a monstrous head and normally appears as a hairy monster with razor-sharp teeth and wickedly sharp claws. El Coco is known to hide in closets, on roofs, behind curtains, in fireplaces, and under beds. Not only that, it can change its shape and has been described as a fanged creature resembling a vampire. In Catalonia, it appears like a turtle with a dragon head horn spine and dragon claws okay i kind of love that that's just really cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'd be intimidating to see that pop up out and of a lake until you get to the part where it has to eat three cats and three children every night oh no i don't like that yeah no well less cool less cool ashley's okay <laughs> ashley's less okay with cool. the cats <laughs> um i can't be okay with the cats because it's recently occurred to me that i'm probably a cat person like <laughs> here's the thing i love dogs and i love having dogs so like as a person that gets pets i always get dogs 
but apparently personality wise i'm a cat so i could see that that's fair because I'm always knocking things over and eating plants. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't like being touched. Yeah, don't touch me! It's because I only want attention when I want attention. That's mm-hmm. fair. So, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> That's what it is. In Brazil, Coco appears as a humanoid female alligator named Cuca, or an old woman with a sack. So, either of those, I guess. <laughs> alligator old lady with a sack you know (laughs) they're the same thing in mexican-american tellings such as in mexico it is described as a small humanoid creature with glowing red eyes that likes to hide in dark places that's creepy Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep not a fan coco is said to do one of two things devour a child and leave no trace or take them somewhere they'll never be found in order to feed off their sorrow Okay, but here's the thing. How do we know which one of those things happened? How do we even know those are the options if there's no trace? I wonder if someone was like, wait, 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 wait. Bro, what's happening here? Somebody tagged their baby. That's what happened. (laughs) They put a microchip in it. You're telling me (laughs) someone lowjacked a baby. (laughs) It's a thing, man. They put a GPS tracker on their baby. Quick, wear this GPS tracker when you go to bed. Why? No, no, no reason. Oh, it has For funsies. A, and it has a special built-in device that measures whether or not your happiness is being sucked out. <laughs> whether you're in the presence of a dementor. But if that's what the options, those are the options. In more benevolent narrations, El Coco is supposed to act as a sort of parental ally, punishing misbehaving children. But this seems a bit extreme even for me. In the Brazilian Cuca version, it will come and get you and turn you into soup or soap if you cannot go to sleep when your parents tell you to. Uh, okay, so then my question is, do you get turned back in the morning? Is that like an overnight punishment or is that up for good? I It didn't say. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. I love how the options were soup or soap. Like... <laughs> One you want to eat, the other you really don't. <laughs> yeah, one you're going to wash with, that's fine. I'm kind of wondering if maybe that's like a translation thing. That's kind of wondering too. Because, yeah. because that's two completely different things, but also the word for soup is sopa in Spanish. So oh. I think somebody saw that and was like, it's obviously soap, but it wasn't. <laughs> Bet you it was somebody American. Probably. Well, now I'm just picturing them turning them into like cans of soup. Like a... Campbell's. Like a weird Warhol type of thing. Oh, God. Just leave, just leave a stylized can of soup in your child's bed. Honey, I can't find Timmy anywhere, but we have a big uh, Technicolor can of chicken and stars. <laughs> El Coco, as they appear today, isn't how they were always portrayed. Prior to the 16th century, Coco was seen as a type of guardian angel, and it wasn't until later that its appearance and general purpose changed to one of malevolence and fear. So how does one protect themselves from El Coco? It's said that you can stop it by singing lullabies. There is a rhyme in Juan Cox's 17th century Oto de los Desposoresos de La Bergen, which is the earliest known written record of El Coco that tells children to go to sleep before El Coco comes to eat them. Guys, that's going to have the opposite effect. (laughs) Allow me to assure you, as someone who suffers from both chronic insomnia and anxiety, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) One of the most chilling origin stories that I came across in my research is that of a man named Francisco Ortega, who contracted tuberculosis in the early 20th century and enlisted the help of a curandera, which is a healer, but usually a witch of some kind. The curandera told Ortega to drink the blood of children to cure himself, and it's said that Ortega kidnapped a child named Bernando with a black cloth bag. Spanish parents tell their children that he still roams the streets today with that black cloth bag, looking for disobedient children to kidnap and drink the blood of. So he gets 
sick. And the cure that's told to him is to drink the blood of a child. He's like, yeah, okay. Yep. Because the witch said so. So it, it must be true. Genius. Yep. In pop culture, El Coco has become a quite popular figure figure in a number of fictional works. The legend of El Coco was immortalized in 1799 in a painting by Goya entitled KVN El Coco, or El Coco Comes, and it shows a woman and two screaming children cowering in fear from a hooded figure. Goya was pretty twisted. A lot of his stuff was messed up. Yeah. <laughs> like... The painting inspired hundreds of poems, songs, paintings, and more from the 17th century through to the present. Cervantes mentions Coco in Don Quixote, and it is also recorded in a Portuguese lullaby by Liet de Vasconcelos, part of which is as follows. So I'm going to do it in Spanish, and then I'm going to tell you the translated English version of what it means. Vaite Coca, Pera Cima do Telhado, desa o menino dormir, um son ninho descan sado, which means leave coca, leave coca, go to the top of the roof, let the child have a quiet sleep. So that's a lullaby that you can sing to make sure that El Coco or La Coca doesn't come and steal your children. Could you imagine hearing that song as you're trying to fall asleep? Go away. Go away. Let the kids sleep. Yep. Go to the roof. Just chill on the roof. Yep. As you're in there like, don't go inside. In Disney's The Wizards of Waverly Place, specifically episode two of the fourth season titled Alex Gives Up, which I do too. Let's be real. <laughs> there is an old and wealthy Latin American descended family named Kukui that derives their name from the mythological version of El Coco. While they appear human, their faces can change to a dark skull shape with large red eyes. They choose to live on Earth instead of living in the wizarding world. I've never seen the show, so I don't really get it. The only thing I know is that <laughs> Selena Gomez is in it. Boom. Yeah. That's it. I know nothing That's all else. I know. The TV series Grimm includes a case of murders that get blamed on feral dogs, but are actually committed by El Coco, or El Cucuy, as it's referred to on the show. The entity poses as a little old woman who changes into a beast form and slays the criminals that prey on crime victims in a weird sort of vigilante justice. Stephen King uses El Cuco, or El Coco, in his recent work, The Outsider, stating that it appears as worms that are able to shapeshift into a human by taking some of their DNA. Like Pennywise, it can change shape to appear as whatever its victim fears most, and it feeds on that fear and sadness. In his telling of the mythos of El Coco, the creature ultimately takes what it wants, which in this telling is to brutally murder children. In the show The Outsider, which is the same show. A children's bedtime lullaby is sung in reference to El Coco and is as follows. Duermete niño, duermete ya, que vian el coco y te cumera. Which means sleep my baby, sleep baby do. The boogeyman's coming and he will eat you. Yeah. Nope. Then it's, yeah, you got it right. Then the uh, cumera is like future tense of to eat and that is the delightfully delicious tale of El Coco oh, those are some really great lullabies I think I'll use those on my kids tomorrow night there you go and ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2020 Den of Geek article by Tony Sokol a 2020 Men's Health magazine article by Josh St. Clair 2020 Refinery 29 article by Gina Weinstein a 2016 Ancient Origins article by Natalie Klimskek. I'm going to go with it. Blog entry on the ACIS travel website by Francesca Williams. Myth and folklore wiki entry and a Wikipedia entry on the folklore of Coco. You know what I'm, uh, I'm learning? And this is pretty pathetic considering this is, what, seven regions in at this point? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we had... Japan, Italy, North America, is it Russia, Australia, India, Chile? Mm -hmm. The seven regions in. 
we're all messed up. We're seriously messed up. Like <laughs> humans are so messed up in the head. What is wrong with everybody? Uh, I mean, I've I've always considered that stuff to be our way of trying to mentally cope with the awful things that we experience in life. A lot of which we don't have a natural explanation for, or at least we didn't back when a lot of these stories mm-hmm. originated. So we make sense of it the only way that we can. Why do we feel like we need to damage our children before they even get there? Because this is all, like, all of it goes to kids. Let's tell these stories to kids. Yeah, I don't know. My mom definitely used to tell me, like, horrible stories about kids getting kidnapped and stuff because I was one of those children that would kind of daydream a lot. And get all stuck up in my head. Oh my god, imagine me getting caught in my thoughts. When would that happen? Uh, (laughs) But I would wander off a lot because of it or not stay with her. So yeah, Mm. I got told those stories about how I was going to get kidnapped and murdered all the time when I was a kid. Nice. Okay, as a parent I have to say that I've definitely done that with my kids a few times. But I don't make up creatures. I always just tell my kids if a parent or if an adult comes at you and is like, I need you to help me find my puppy. No adult ever needs your help in finding something. You need to scream as loud as possible and run away. Mm-hmm. As any true crime podcast has taught me over the years. Yeah, don't tr- don't trust don't trainers. trust people. As any well, don't trust people you know either. That's yeah. true. Yep, that's because true. they're more likely to kill you. But basically, don't trust anyone ever. Never let anyone in and die alone. <laughs> That's the safe way. I'm in the I'm in the middle of the plans. <laughs> On that note, does anybody have anything happy they'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn this around, but not like an invunche. Yeah. Uh, no, turn that frown upside down is much better than turn it around like an invunche. I don't want. Yeah. I don't ever want to see my spine. I don't want to look yeah. down and see it. I don't want to see, like, it sticking out of my skin. No. I can't do this. Nope. Yeah. All right. So we're trying to think of something good. Trying to think of what's happened since the last time we talked a week ago. Not, like, actually the last time we talked, because that would be ridiculous. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, um, now that all of us are fully vaccinated, I was talking to... Maddie recently, and we're going to try and do uh, a live stream gameplay of the Donner Party. Ah, oh, that'll be fun. So Or gross. <laughs> we're or not gross. sure yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't opened the box yet at all, so I haven't even like seen what the cards look like or anything. So that should be kind of fun. Well, they looked they look pretty cute in the pictures that I saw. They don't yeah. look creepy or gross. They look like campy and fun. Yeah. So, but it's also the Donner Party, yeah. So I'm looking. It sounds like the game is more kind of like the game of Clue. So you're trying to figure out who ate who. Maybe I don't know. Like who's who's the cannibal in the group? I don't know. Oh god. Um. Oh. Okay. So Jimmy filleted <laughs> Susie <laughs> behind the pine tree. <laughs> uh, oh. It wasn't Colonel Mustard, that's for sure. It always comes down to Long Pig. Long Pig or Balls somehow. <laughs> Actually, I think we uh, had surprisingly few, if any, ball or dick jokes tonight. That's true. We did have some incest, very briefly, very lightly. Just some light incest. Yeah, I think this is the first triptych where we haven't had any dick and ball jokes. That's a miracle. <laughs> I feel like we need to write this down. I mean, I did. I did Let's mark it. Well, does the eunuch thing count? Because if eunuch corn counts, then we kind of did. But that's I'd have to say that, that that's more of count. an absence of joke. Then. Uh, that's true. Oh, God, that's so going on the show title. Chile ball free the Chilean eunuch corn. <laughs> Unicorn. I feel good about it. <laughs> I do too. It was great. One of your best works. <laughs> mm, indubitably. <laughs> um, I 
guess, okay, I kind of had a good thing, even though I think talking about it out loud might jinx it, but fuck it. Not that long ago, I had an idea for what I think could be a really amazing book or even a series of books. So I have actually started writing fiction again. (gasps) Yay! It's, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read it. It's slow. You get to read it, right? Well, yeah, but it's slow going right now. I think I only have two chapters done so far, and I've been working on it for probably like a month now. It's just Even still. Well, it's just hard because I have um, a lot of problems with carpal tunnel pain, mm-hmm. and I already do a lot of typing and stuff to get my notes and things ready for the podcast and my job is literally typing. I was going to say not only that but your job too. Yeah, so I can only do so much at a time otherwise I'm going to end up not being able to move my wrists, but Yeah. Have you considered there are programs that you can download where you can dictate? Yeah. And they're pretty good. Yeah, but I don't really know how good I feel about saying aloud all of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to, I mean, it's kind of dark. Oh, I thought you were going more like, oh, okay. Um, like, like brown chicken, brown cow. No, like, I mean, there's brown a, chicken, brown cow. <laughs> there's always that possibility because I have written some very smutty slash fiction that's out in the world, although my name is not on it. So good luck. Uh, I have to, so. <laughs> so it's very possible, um, but no, it's kind of a dark theme, but mm-hmm. it, it'll it be what it is. I also have to do some research to make sure that I'm getting some of the historical parts of it right, because there's, it's not time travel, but th- we'll be moving about through time, if that oh, okay. makes sense for different mm-hmm. sections of it. Yeah. So I have to do reading and stuff along with it. So it's. I'm excited about it. I feel really good about it, but it's also going to be something that takes a while to get done just because of all the other things that are going on. Yay. That's awesome. That is awesome. I'm so happy for you. It might get me burned at the stake for being a witch. (laughs) Actually, no, it'll get me burned at the stake for being a heretic, but that's okay. (laughs) We'll be right there with you. Yeah. Be like, burn us too. I'll be at the stake next door. (laughs) (laughs) um so i had something really cute happen the other day we took the boys for a nice long walk which we do pretty regularly that's our family time is going for long walks together and then afterwards we went to the park that's right behind the house there's a playground Mm -hmm. and while we were there this little boy came up and he's probably the kid probably is like three years old he's teeny tiny he looks like a toddler swinging on things climbing around like a little monkey just getting around easy peasy unafraid of everything comes up to us and he's like what's your name so i say my name and he asked the kids their name then he goes ask joel and he goes what's up joel <laughs> <laughs> what's up? he does a little like head flip what's up joel tosses his head back sideways and then he's he's doing all this stuff running around running around having fun and this kid is like a little old man in this eddy bitty teeny weeny little body absolutely fearless speaks perfectly clearly like my kids are seven and nine and i still don't understand half of what they say (laughs) (laughs) this kid was perfect and then at the end we were getting ready to go and he's like where are you guys going i said well we're gonna we're gonna go home have dessert then they're gonna go off to bed and he goes can i come i already asked my mom she said it's cool (laughs) your mom is nowhere near here (laughs) like no maybe next time i'll talk to your mom and we'll make sure that that's okay Uh, he communicated he communicated with her telepathically because that's how advanced he is yeah (laughs) joel and i were both like that kid is amazing (laughs) we're both floored by this kid it was so cool it was just one of those things that you're just seeing this little child and you're like, holy cow, that is absolutely a full grown. That's an old soul yeah. in a light, tiny little body. That's so awesome. That was my fun thing. That's awesome. So before we close the restaurant for the night, we wanted to share with you a review from one of our satisfied patrons. Uh, this is from user AU1294. They say, great podcast. I love this podcast so much. It's such a fun twist on mythology, urban legends, and cryptozoology. 
They cover some things well-known and others that I know I've never heard of. I definitely feel like I'm learning something from this podcast. You need to be tuning into this podcast. Thank you. That's a good one. Thank you. They're all good, to be honest. We're Mm -hmm. teaching people stuff. Woo! (laughs) All I can say about this episode is, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry for teaching you the things that you learned today. (laughs) And for ruining your life. Please come back. I promise I didn't do it on purpose. (laughs) I thought we were supposed to wreck your life. (laughs) I know. The wrecky becomes the wrecker. I feel uh-huh. like I give that speech at the end of so many episodes of Scarlet. I'm like, I'm sorry I've uh, violently depressed you. Like, please come back. <laughs> like, please come back. I am a good person, uh, I think, most of the time. <laughs> I promise. All right. Shall we, ladies? Let's. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a slice of urban legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. We're sweet and cheesy, and not everyone understands us, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at pineapp.com. Pizza Pod. That's Pine App APP Pizza Pod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at Pine App APP Pizza Pod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.